Take your Bible, come to the book of 1 John. Now, we've been talking about this thing as far as uh, being in fellowship. Uh, by the way, it's a blessing to have missionary brother Baker is with us. Uh, he is from, uh, actually, he's out of Newport, Ritchie, Florida, but he's been in Haiti for 38 years and started, I think he said 83 churches. Is that right, preacher? Okay, sorry. 85 churches. Okay, I'm sorry. I see that now. Walt Griffith, missionary to Haiti, carrying on the work from Brother Baker. Excuse me, sir. Thanks for straightening me out. At any rate, um, he's been down there, started 85 churches, also has a Bible school. One of his students is here whose dad is a pastor down there in Haiti. So it's a blessing to have you with us today. All right. Now, here's the thing I want to read to you about. And this is an important thing because if we're going to understand uh, this thing about people that get out, that's where we started a few weeks ago. Why do people get out? Why do people quit? What about the warnings the Lord gives us about departing from the faith and throwing in the towel? And if throwing in the towel was an Olympic sport, we'd all get a gold medal, that kind of thing. Well, part of the reason is because there's not enough emphasis or there needs to be more emphasis on your fellowship with the Lord. If the devil can break your fellowship with the Lord, he can pretty much do anything he wants to do with you. If you have no character, you have no conscience to check what it is you're doing, and the Holy Spirit can't stick you and say, hey, you need to get this fixed. If that doesn't happen, then you're out of fellowship with the Lord and you're in danger, not of losing your salvation, but of losing the joy that you have. That Bible said that when the Lord's talking to the apostles, He said, I tell you these things that your joy may remain full. Why? Because in the book of Deuteronomy and again in the book of Nehemiah, He says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Deuteronomy, he says, Because thou servest not the Lord thy God with joyfulness and gladness of heart, I will allow him to put a yoke of iron about your neck. And when you lose that joy, that head begins to hang and the shoulders begin to get heavy. And the next thing you know, all you see is the negative side to everything about Christianity. And you have a tendency not to look very far back in the past at all the good things God did, like uh, He was saying on Sunday, counting your many blessings. You have a tendency to go back and just what's in front of you, and the Lord will provide me, the devil will provide the hemorrhoids that will show up right in front of you all the time. The only cure for that is to get your eyes on Jesus. Now, those of you visiting hemorrhoids, that's, uh, you know, backslidden Christians. That's, our, that's my name for them. They're in the Bible. You say, why? Because they show up, they swell up, they burn an itch, and they keep on until you give them special attention, and then they leave without even saying goodbye. That's a good illustration. They're in the Bible. They're called emrods. All right. So what we want to talk about is having fellowship with the Lord. Now, pick it up, if you will, please, in verse number three, and I want you to get this. It has nothing to do with your salvation. John's talking here and he says, That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and the Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you, well look what shows up, that your joy may be full. This then is the message which you have heard of Him, declare unto you that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, God's son, or His Son, cleanseth us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sin. And for 
forgive us, of, uh, forgive us our sin and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And he says, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and the word is not in us. Amen. Brother Brad, pray, would you, and ask the Lord to help us. Amen. Take your Bible as you're being seated and if you would please come to Titus chapter number three. Now this thing about having, sis, that baby ain't bothering, you never mind, do whatever you need to do. I, I got to learn to just hush. Titus chapter number three. I was at a meeting one time and I said that and the lady turned around and she said, his diaper needs change, you want to change him? And that's just what went through my mind right then. It's kind of like, I'm not taking him out because he's crying. I'm, and I'm thought, I thought, never mind, never mind, sorry. <laughs> the tendencies in the last days, if the Bible's right, the church of Laodicea, that's the church that becomes the rights of the people. If that's true, then the tendency in the last days is to do what? Make it all about us, all about me, right? And so what we have to do is fight against that and to recognize that when things begin to run slow or to begin to wear us out, there's a good indicator that the joy, the oil of the Holy Spirit that should be in us has all of a sudden begun to run a little bit low. If you read in the book of Galatians, you find out that the fruit of the Spirit, love is the first one, joy is the second one, then comes the peace. Peace begins to wane, probably the joy's not there, and I'm guessing that the love for the right kind of things is not there. That's just the first three things that are there. And one of the things that you don't hear much about, especially in independent Baptist churches is, is anything about joy because you're worried about being some kind of charismatic or something. There's nothing wrong with enjoying Jesus. But that doesn't mean that enjoying Jesus means you're all the time clapping your hands and hopping around and speaking in other tongues or rolling around on the floor like you don't have any sense or like the maniac of Gadara. What it means is, is that the Lord keeps your tank full enough that it prevents anything else from getting in there. One of the greatest things you could ever learn about being filled with the Spirit is as long as you're filled with the Spirit, there's less of an opportunity for other things to get in there. I'm not a big advocate of just get rid of everything unless you're going to fill what you have now cavitated. You take a hole in your head, a, a cavity in your tooth, and it gets drilled out, and you got a big hole there, and they get all that smell and all that stench out, and then they say, well, it's five o'clock, it's time to knock off. If you don't get something in that hole, something's going to get in that hole. Now, while I understand that a Christian life means sometimes we have to jettison some things and get rid of some things and be willing to turn loose of some things and some Isaacs get in our life and things we love more than the Lord and sometimes they're sinful things that need to be drilled out and all that stuff. But the mistake is, is that it stops there. It doesn't stop there. If you don't fill it with the right stuff, something that's even more rotten than what was there before is going to fill that hole. Even though your intentions were good and you were bitter to begin with, but you'll be ten times as bitter if you don't fill it with the right thing. And the Lord is not automatically a fill up like that. He fills you at salvation. After that, it's up to you as to how much of Him you, uh, He has of you. You have to decide how much you want to yield. The Bible said, He must increase... I must decrease. As he begins to get bigger, I have to get smaller. That's hard to do, isn't it? Come on, that's hard to do, isn't it? 
I mean, if you read the Bible very much at all, you know what you realize before long? You realize he's trying to increase and it's hard to make yourself decrease to make room for him. Because the more you get a him, the more you recognize, man, I'm nothing like him. Not, not at all like I'm supposed to be like him. All right, look at what he says in Titus chapter number three. Pick it up in verse number eight. Now, it's important that you take the Bible for what it says. We have to learn to love the Lord first, learn to love His Word second, learn to love His people third, and put yourself last on the list. Why? Being full of joy will prevent you from the other things in life taking over, such as fear. I mean, I see the tragedies of things that are going on overseas right now, and I feel for them. I really do. I empathize. I sympathize as much as I can from what you can see from images and things and a little bit of stuff that I've read on it. I don't get completely overwhelmed with it. But I look at those kinds of things, and I think to myself, what a terrible thing, and what if I lived there, and those people are living that way, and that kind of a deal. But if I get overwhelmed with that kind of stuff, then I get where I wouldn't even walk out the door of my house. I get consumed with anxiety. I get consumed with fear. What's that going to mean? Is the price of gas going to go up? Am I going to be able to buy meat anymore? Uh, what, should I get money? Should I not get money? Should I bury some money? Should I get some ammunition? Should I? What am I going to do? The next thing you know, too much of that. So what I have to learn to do is I get that, I balance that thing out, and I put the right stuff in and go, well, praise the Lord, maybe the rapture is going to happen. But the bottom line is it prevents me from worrying about things I can't control. Now, I'm going to say this to you again, and I've said it before, and I do intend to be redundant. Some of you spend too much time watching the news, flipping around, news the news the news. Some of you have been watching it all day long. Nothing has changed since this morning, except they've flattened out things in Gaza Strip pretty well. But beyond that, nothing has changed that's affected you at all, except your parasympathetic nervous system has gone through the roof right now, and you probably won't sleep tonight, and your nerves are on edge. You're ready to bite your husband's head off because you're all strung out and upset about nothing, something you can't control. Some of you ladies, what about those poor babies? That's horrible. Not making light of that at all. That's absolutely horrendous. That's terrible. But what can you do about it? So what do I have to do? I got to look at it from God's perspective and God's been warning them 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 and finally he took his hand out of the way and now we'll see where things come along. I'll give you this warning, and I mean it sternly, as sternly if you have any respect for me as your preacher, your pastor, is you better side with Israel in whatever they choose to do. And you better not be shaken from that at all or kind of think, well, maybe if I was, you better stay out of that. Just giving you that as a suggestion. The Bible said, I'll bless them that bless thee and curse them that curse thee. And you start looking at them and say, well, they're getting what they want like you're hearing now. And they're the bad guys like you're hearing now. You better be careful. All right, now notice what he says here. Titus chapter number 3, look in verse number 8. It's a faithful saying, These things I will that thou affirm constantly, that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works, so that they stay saved. No. It's not for you to stay saved. You maintain good works. You say, why? These things are good and profitable unto men. If I maintain good works, then it means I'm not doing bad works. If I'm busy doing what I'm supposed to be doing, then it's less likely I'll do things I shouldn't do. It's not in the Bible, but it certainly is, uh, is scriptural in nature. Idle hands are the devil's workshop. I told the kids a few years ago when we went through a number of things, I told them at youth camp, downtime is dangerous time. The time you're just sitting around, you don't have anything to do, nothing to occupy your mind, and the next thing you know, you're scrolling or rolling, whatever you call that thing, or you're clicking around or doing this, or you've got a remote in your hand, or the next thing you know, all of a sudden your mind's running, 
You're in a dangerous situation. And my day, I didn't have that stuff. I mean, my day, my dad kept me busy. I guess he figured I'd get in trouble with a stick or a bat or something like that. We went and played in the woods and all. I realized I was around during the days of the Neanderthal for some of y'all. But I mean, you know, when you came in, after you came in from practice and did your homework, get out of the house until you hear us whistle for dinner. Take your bath. Come take your, after you get your bath, wash the dishes and you went to bed. You were too tired to do anything else. Here's the thing I'm trying to say to you. Nowadays, it's an accepted norm with latchkey kids and stuff like that for you to sit around with nothing to do. And I'm telling you that is a dangerous time because anything can creep in during that time. That goes for adults too. Listen, adults are no different than kids. This ain't a kid message. This is for adults too. Adults can get in all kind of trouble with all kind of images or talking, carrying on emotional relationships with people and, and going back and forth and talking to people and all that, occupying your time with nothing about eternity whatsoever. The Lord, when He tells you to occupy till He comes, He's not talking about occupying your time with things that have no value to Him whatsoever. It doesn't mean you don't deserve a little bit of time down, but you better control your downtime. You know, well, I just need a break. Well, I just need a break. Well, I just need a break. It's better for me not to have a break. And it's better if I have a break to know what I'm going to be doing during that break. Like I'll get a break tonight around 10.30 or 11 o'clock and I'll break until about 4.30. You say, what well, I do? I'll be checking my eyelids for holes. You've got to watch. They're slippery. They'll, they'll slide in there. You've got to watch them. You've got to watch them for several hours sometimes. But I'll get that little bit of a break. But what do you do? You say, preacher, why do you have a routine? Why do you have a schedule? It helps keep me out of trouble. I'm not like some of you. My mind wanders. My mind drifts. I've seen some things. I've been some places. I've ha had to participate in things because of what I used to do. I can't just let it run amok. I need to put the book in there. I have to occupy my mind. If I don't, I can get in trouble sitting right in front of you. Don't even know. What am I thinking right now? Can you read my mind? You don't know what I'm thinking. I'm thinking you're all wonderful, glorious people. <laughs> but you know what he just said there, what you got to do? He said, listen, maintain good works. Why? Keeps you busy. There's nothing wrong with having kids work. There's no child labor law. You know, I'll, I'll work for you. You going to pay me? I said that once to my dad. The operative is once. Am I going to pay you? No, I'm going to charge you double. Why? For your bed? For your clothes? For washing your clothes? For drying your clothes? For feeding you food? Taking a bath in my house? Drying off in my house? Having the security of my house? Carting your hind in all over the place from practice to school to this and that and the other? No, I'm going to charge you double. Never mind, I don't mind cutting the grass. Will I give you, when do I get an allowance? <laughs> I'm allowing you to breathe, that's what you get. So I just think that's too hard. Raise them however you want to raise them. That's your business. I'm not telling you that it's perfect. Worked out pretty well for me though. I learned the value of a dollar. I learned the value of not expecting the, a free meal. Nowadays, some of you think, man, I sound like Mao Zedong to some of y'all. You're thinking, Mao sounds like communism to me, man. You turn 16 now, you expect a car and a phone. If you hadn't got it by the time you pop out and then the crib, they get you as a toy, they get you a little phone, put it in there next to you so you'll be ready. By the time you're one, you'll already be going. And then you get hung up on your thing. You just hand it to your one-year-old and they go. preaching. I know you don't like that. I, I understand that, but I'm telling you to occupy it. 
with the right things. There's nothing wrong with me telling you that. Now watch. This is important. Why? Because it keeps your joy full. Now notice what he says here. He says in verse number 9, Avoid foolish questions and genealogies and contentions and strivings about the law. They're unprofitable and vain. I just have a note here that goes for blood moons and Shemitahs too. <laughs> you got a bunch of people that are out there now. And they're starting to tell you all these things about this is Gog and this is Magog and this is going to be the second coming and we're in the tribulation and the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And that was seven minutes. I set a timer. That was seven minutes of me just typing in rapture, typing in second coming, typing in Israel. And seven minutes I got all that garbage. I can't imagine what some of you must get. I don't even know how to do all that stuff. I have to call one of these other guys and if I want to really do it. In that period of time, all I found was a bunch of blowhards up there trying to tell you that you're already in the tribulation period. Well, that ain't what's going on. In blood moons and Shemitahs and uh, the, the sign in the stars and in the heavens and Virgo is here and the moon is passing through and the child is there and it's the Revelation 12. That's still out there, the Revelation 12 sign. And now because of some special day on the 14th, I can't remember if it's Shabbat or if it's trumpets or what it is. You know what the last thing I heard today? You know who's going to win the election in 2024? It's going to be Trump and it'll be the last Trump. Before the Lord, a preacher said that with a straight face. And that's what will happen and that's his prediction for who will win the election. And when that happens, the rapture's happening. You know what bothers me is that some of y'all are like... <laughs> Think about the audacity of that, uh, uh, that, that fellow saying that. Think about that. That he thinks Bible prophecy hinges on who the President of the United States is. Have you not read Zechariah where the Lord says, I've considered the nations, they are but a drop in a bucket. No, they're less than nothing. <laughs> less than nothing? How dare you? That's what he said. And that guy says, at the last trump. Oh my God. Oh yeah, it's all through your Bible. The Lord's giving you hints and showing you that He's coming in 2024. Buddy, if you keep talking like that, He's going to come for you tonight. <laughs> Lord's going to drop you in your tracks. All right, now watch. They're unprofitable in vain, but a man that is an heretic after the first and uh, second admonition do what? Why? Knowing that he that is such is subverted, sinneth being condemned of himself. Some of you are coming up on the holidays and things like that. Come to 2 Thessalonians 2. I've showed you this before, 2 Thessalonians 2. And you're bound and determined that you're going to um, uh, convert some of your loved ones. Don't run a good meal. Really? Don't get into a biscuit throwing contest. Pass the biscuits, put you some butter on there, dump about a half a bottle of, of uh, maple syrup on it, let it swim around in there, enjoy it. How you doing today? Great, man. It's like eating manna from heaven. What'd you say? Nothing. Just this wonderful boy. Can't wait to get to heaven. What is this about heaven? Oh, nothing, man. Can't wait to go. You know, Don't run a good meal. Unheretic after the first and second admonition reject. Why? Knowing that he that is such is subverted, sinneth against himself. He's got a heart problem. You're wasting your breath. Amen. Quit worrying about your reputation. You've told them the gospel, haven't you? Yes. 
We have some people that are of a whole other religion that's related to part of the family and had to eventually say, we're done. We've told them everything you can tell. I'm not arguing with them. Every time they show up, they want to argue. I'm not arguing. Pass the turkey. Well, I mean, don't you think you... No, I don't. I'm, I have no guilty conscience about it at all. Let them go to hell. I'm done. I know. See how you just reacted to that? They're not going because I didn't tell them. They're going because they didn't take the cure. It's like you go to the doctor and the doctor gives you medicine and then you die and they go and there's a whole prescription bottle. Why did he die? You didn't take the medicine. It ain't the doctor's fault. So many of you guys, you're, you're just way overboard when it comes to that stuff. I think you're worried about your reputation. Hey, every one of us have put loved ones in the box that were lost. That's not on you. That's on them. That's called free will. That's not because you didn't tell them. It's because they didn't listen. Build a bridge and get over yourself. You're not that important. God, you get the gospel to him. He's not willing that any should perish. He wished that all would come to repentance. And some of you get all spun up because it's holiday time and we got to sit around the man. Go in there, say, hey, how you doing? It's nice to see you. And I hadn't seen you. It looked like you put on a couple of uh, pounds there. It looked like a fence around a chicken graveyard there or something, you know. I, I see, you know, you've been praying for somebody to increase your borders. Apparently they have. And, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. I mean... You know, I, I mean, you know, and, and eat and leave. Get you a takeout bag. <laughs> Leftovers are good, man. You don't have to cook them. Put them in the refrigerator, warm them up in the air fryer. That's my new favorite friend. <laughs> that beats the fire out of them in the microwave, man. At least it keeps your food around and all that. Somehow you don't know what that is. I cook in an air fryer. How you like that? <laughs> I mean, not no big meal or nothing, but I can get it done well enough to eat it. <laughs> but, but folks, you know what he says? He just gave you, you're just off the hook there. Tell them and let it alone. That's God's problem. Pray for them and leave it alone. Now, doesn't that cure your indigestion right off the bat? Man, you can sit down there. It's not a compromise at all. You sit down there and have a meal with them and say before y'all, can we pray? We don't want to pray. So, okay, no problem. Father, bless food and bless his bunch of cotton-picking heathens I'm around here <laughs> and save their soul for Jesus' sake. Amen. Pass the taters, man. Did you call me a heathen? No, no, I'm just praying for you. No problem. <laughs> yeah. That way, you know, you can sing joy to the world. The Lord has come. They'll be the ones on the other end. Now, you know what he said? It's their problem. Just pray it's not your problem. Because the Bible only effectually worketh in them that believe. And when God says you got a problem, you got to be as willing to accept it as those people are willing to not. All right, look if you will please in this uh, passage here in 2 uh, Thessalonians. Yeah, 2 Thessalonians. Come down to chapter number 2. Come down to verse number 9. Now, these are slick individuals that you're dealing with. These are people that are set up for delusional beliefs. It will not be hard at all for the world, if that's what he, the Lord chooses to do, to be fooled by uh, UFOs or giant people or uh, Neftilium or fallen angels. Or, uh, they won't, people won't have a problem with that at all. It's all over your TV now. I mean, you think it's going to be hard for them to explain away the rapture? Just like that, you know. And the rapture happens and, you know, 
But some of you sitting here, you know, maybe back here somewhere, but some of you still sitting here. You can do whatever you want to do. But just like that, the rapture happened. You think they're going to get converted? They're not going to get converted. They don't believe it. Now, if you believe that's going to happen, you know what you better be ready? When that sound goes off, you know what you better be ready for? You better be ready to hit the judgment seat of Christ. That's all I'll care for out for you. I believe you ought to win souls. I believe that's important. But you know what I want you to do? I believe if you'll do what you can do at the judgment seat of Christ, the Lord will bring souls your way and give you an opportunity to tell them. But you don't win nobody. You give them an opportunity to trust Jesus Christ as their Savior, but you are not a salesman. You present the gospel to them and the Holy Spirit seals the deal or don't. Amen. Ask that guy. He's been doing it for 50 million years. Ask him. You don't, you don't win anybody. You give them the chance. So stop worrying. If they don't accept it, that ain't on you. Check them off the list. Keep fishing the pond. But you know what I would like to see you do? I'd like to see the Lord say, okay, well, we got 3857 here. That's what you'll be. Your number will be up there. And your number comes up. 3857, you'll all be jammed in there like sardines in a can. And the Lord said, we're going to be here a while. That's what I want for you. We're going to be here a while. One at a time, he brings them there and all be rolling their eyes. Good night, man. What in the world? Well, they've been doing something for me. That's what I want to see for you. I want to see you outdistance all this other carnal foolishness going on in the world today. Because you took the time to think about what's important in life. And what is important in life is what happens in eternity. And nothing else is important. Amen. Nothing else. Zero, zilch, nada. All right, he says this in 2 Thessalonians chapter number 2. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders, with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. For this cause God shall send them strong delusion, that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. You say, preacher, what are you telling me? I'm telling you, you give people a great opportunity for what I would call the great escape. Years ago, there was a fellow by the name of uh, McQueen was his name. I can't think of his first name here. He's a real wild fellow. I wouldn't recommend you watch TV. It was an old, old movie. He was a prisoner in a POW in a, uh, a German camp. I'll think of the thing here in a minute. Great Escape was that. It was called The Great Escape. And they tunneled out and they did all this and that and the other. Just an escape movie. It's, you know, you might call it war propaganda. The Nazis were mistreating them and all that kind of stuff. And he managed to get out through the tunnel and stuff. And the explosions and stuff, good as could be. This is back in the 60s, man. And uh, then he gets on a motorcycle and he tries to get away from them. And they're shooting at him, you know, and that kind of a deal. And he gets all tangled up in the barbed wire. And they shoot him and he doesn't escape. Yeah, well, what a drag. But the whole issue was, well, at least he tried. Well, you give people an opportunity to escape and do more than try. You give them a chance to get out before it gets bad. The greatest escape is yet to come. And that escape is for the church that's left when the Lord blows the horn or when you die. You notice how many people are dying lately? You paid any attention, like I told you, to go look at some of the insurance statistics and see how many people are dying? Your death rate is up. You're not winning people to the Lord more than people are dying and going to hell. 
you're losing the battle. The only reason this nation has yet to fall under the condemnation of God Almighty is because of you praying people. But one day, you know what the Lord is going to say? The cup's full. You know what He's going to do? When He turns it over, there ain't nothing you're going to be able to do. Your epitaph's done. All you can do then is pray, Lord, keep me here doing something until you blow the horn and I get out. And that's what's coming. You say, what's coming? The people that are going to be left behind, that's your responsibility to tell them. What a great time to tell them. Yes. The very idea that back in uh, 2001, you have the towers get hit and everybody thinks, you know, well, that's going to be the end of the world and that's the apocalypse and so on and so forth. The United States is nowhere around. But now you've got Israel. And even people that aren't interested in Bible prophecy, all of a sudden they're like, Israel? Isn't there something significant about Israel? Matter of fact, there is. What a great time for you to be able to put in a witness. Brother Mark's up there. He's a nurse, respiratory therapist. He works at the hospital and stuff. And he said he's sitting there watching there in a break room there and they're watching all the stuff happening in Israel and this and that and the other. And the Lord opened up a door for him to talk about Israel to get in a witness for Jesus Christ. Say, so why are you telling me that? Well, you're getting out. Why don't you give up your seat on the lifeboat and get somebody else in? You know where you're going. What are you jacked up about? Protect yourself? Get somebody else on the lifeboat. We know where we're going, right? You say, but what's coming? Uh, the devil's going to deceive them right now. Now, I'll say this, and I, you can take this or leave this, do whatever you want. There is going to be a deception that is going to sweep the entire world, and it is going to turn the world anti-Semitic. And the whole world is going to turn against the nation of Israel. I hope and pray it's after the rapture, before it fall, that sleep or slumber falls on the United States. But behind the scenes, your nation is not for Israel. Behind the scenes, God has a history book and knows what you did in the late 1930s and 1940s when your nation knew what was happening to over 6 million in Germany and in Poland and in Czechoslovakia and in Russia, 9 million, and knew and you were complicit in it. And the Lord doesn't settle accounts right away. You say, well, do you think this is it? I hear how quiet you are. Well, good, you should be quiet. You say, why? God judge a nation based on what He did to a nation. Your nation didn't jump in there to resolve that stuff. Your nation worked around behind the scenes. You say, why? You really want to know why? You study uh, tires or rubber. You study uh, engines for uh, Luftwaffe planes. You study oil, and you'll figure it out. Oh, and computers, IBM all run with Jewish slave labor. All done to keep the war machine going. Oh, I forgot to tell you, they were making parts for the people that were fighting our boys. That's not a conspiracy. That's a fact. Including the rubber plant down in South America. I can tell from looking at you right now, some of you look like you've been hit with a cattle prod. You don't read. You say, surely they wouldn't do that. You need to take a good look at uh, uh, Bell helicopters and some other things like that and where they were involved when it comes to Vietnam. You might be surprised. It might shock you that when the Lord said the love of money is the root of all evil, it might surprise you how many people are behind that. 
Preacher, what does that have to do with anything? I'll get back to this in a second. I'm trying to encourage you to read, but I'm trying to get you to seize an opportunity that doesn't come along in every lifetime. You have a great opportunity now to say, yeah, man, that's bad stuff. I can't really tell you what's going to happen. I know where I'm going to you. They may not listen to you. Right after the towers came down, people that wouldn't listen to you before, they're, list, they're like, man, what do you think's happening? They'll listen to you. Use it as an opportunity. You say, why? The time's going to come where the devil's going to deceive them and they're not going to be able to do what needs to be done and guess what's going to happen? They're not going to believe it. Look in Ezekiel chapter number 14. Ezekiel chapter 14. Is it making sense to you? Man, this, we, should, we should literally be witnessing machines right now. You have to know all the prophecy stuff and know all the eschatology. You don't have to know all that. Hey, I'm going to heaven. When I die, it gets better. My whole life is not here. And they're like, how do you get that? Well, I trusted Jesus. Oh, yeah, there's that. Oh, yeah, there's that. We're going to all go one way or the other, whether this is it or not. But can you understand right now? People are open. I'm even hearing these talking heads. They're saying the word God. They know. Why? Because his chosen people are under the gun right now. By the way, you're not his chosen people. You're his bride. I hope that offends you. You know what you are? You're a Gentile dog that was brought into the fold just to make the Jew jealous. I don't care. I got in. I don't think I'm special because I got in, but I'm glad I got in. All right, look at this thing in the book of Ezekiel. Now what happens? Things get in their heart, don't they? Don't things get in your heart and twist you around? Watch. Let's see if I can quote a couple of verses here. As a man thinketh in his heart, what? Out of the abundance of the... Okay. Keep thy... With all diligence. So would you agree that your heart's important? Okay. So if the Lord's not wanting your head, He's wanting your heart. We're not talking about what thumped. We're talking about where your decisions are made, where your emotions reside. All right, look at this thing in the book of uh, Ezekiel, chapter number 14. Uh, Jeremiah says, uh, The heart is uh, desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. Who can know it? <laughs> right? Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, my heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. <laughs> my heart fools me. You're like, not me, man. I never, I'm, I'm always, well, not me. Sometimes I'm like, man, I was wrong. Can you just say that one time out loud for me? I'd just like to hear you. Can you just say this? Just say this. I was wrong. I was wrong. That's hard, ain't it? It's like. <laughs> but that's what you got to do when you come to the Lord. He's never wrong. Lord, you're right. I know that. Well, I'm just saying, Lord, you were right. I know that. If I'm right, what does that mean? Well, Lord, it means you were right. Okay, Jacob. Lord, I was wrong. 
Ezekiel chapter number 14, the Bible says, Then came certain of the elders of Israel unto me and sat before me. The word of the Lord came to me. By the way, if you want some good reading before you go to bed, read Zeke. Man, you get wheels inside of wheels and cherubims and all that kind of stuff, man, and facing each other and flying about doing what the Lord wants them to do. And they got eyes all over the place, man. And I mean, it's, I, mean, I might give you a nightmare too. <laughs> Son of man, these men have set their idols in their heart and put a stumbling block of their iniquity before their face, should I be inquired of them, at them at all? You know what he just said? You got stuff in your heart and you're still talking to me. You shouldn't even be talking to me. Therefore speak unto them and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Every man of the house of Israel that setteth up his idols in his heart and putteth the stumbling block of his iniquity before his face and cometh to the prophet, I the Lord will answer him that cometh... Uh-oh. According to the multitude of his... Look down at verse number 7. For every one of the house of Israel, the stranger that sojourneth in Israel, that spareth himself from me, and setteth his idols in his heart, and putteth the stumbling block of his iniquity before his face, and cometh to, to prophet to inquire of him concerning me, I the Lord will answer him by myself, and I will set my face against that man, and will make him a sign and a proverb, and cut him, uh, uh, cut him off from the midst of my people, and ye shall know that I am the Lord. You know what he said? And if a prophet's deceived, I the Lord deceived him. Why? Because the people are deceived. I'll give him exactly what they're looking for. Now, I don't know if that shakes your tree or not. He said, first of all, I shouldn't even be being talked to him, but I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to reward you. I'm going to answer your prayers according to the idols of your heart. Now you pause and think about that a minute. Are you sure you want God to give you the desires of your heart? That's a pretty big ask. Just a couple more and we'll take a break for tonight. Uh, look over in um, uh, Psalms chapter number 40. Psalms chapter number 40. You remember old Ahab's over there in 1 Kings 22 and they're trying to tell him about going to war. And he smacks um, uh, Micaiah in the face. Do you remember that? And puts him in jail. And the Lord sends a lying spirit down there. You remember that? How shall we deceive him? And so on. That's in 1 Kings 22. And a lying spirit said, I'll go. And he said, well, how are you going to go? He said, I'll put a lying spirit in the mouth of all the prophets. I'm going to give Ahab exactly what he's asking for. And I'll give him prophets, 400 of them, to tell him that preacher's wrong. That's a strange passage if you take a look at that in the Bible. In 2 Kings chapter number 7, there's a bunch of people over there and they're finding out that there's a spoil is out in the deal. Uh, and he says, the prophet comes up there and the, says, the Lord said there's windows in heaven. And he said, I'll not believe that there's windows in heaven. And the prophet said, because thou hast not believed this, when you go out, you'll be trodden underfoot. You say, why? Because he didn't believe there was windows in heaven. And when he comes out, read it tonight when you go home. 2 Kings 7. And they come out there and there's a big stampede to go get the materials and stuff like that that the lepers found. And they go running out there. They run over here and they stomp him, they stomp him to death right out there. That's all through your Bible. The Lord decided to answer you according to the desires of your heart. That means we probably ought to keep our hearts, shouldn't we? I don't know if yours has ever gotten cattywampus. Mine has. Did I give you Psalm 40 yet? Is that where you are? Okay. Let me get there. That's in the Old Testament, right? 
Psalm 40. There it is, verse number 10. I have not hid thy righteousness within, mine heart, within my heart. I have declared thy faithfulness and thy salvation. I have not concealed thy loving kindness and thy truth from the great congregation. Withhold not thou thy tender mercies from me, O Lord. Let thy loving kindness and thy truth continually, what? So truth is there to preserve you. What does truth do? The Bible says, sanctify them with truth, thy what? All right, real quickly, back to 1 John. Let me set the precedent here for you. Let's establish first and foremost what it means to be in fellowship with the Lord. Stop off on the way over there. Come to Ephesians chapter number 5. The Bible teaches you clearly how shall two walk together except they what? So I got to be in agreement with who? The Lord. So he tells me in 2 Corinthians 6, No temptation taking to such a common a man. The Lord with the temptation provide for you a way of escape. He says, Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate. Touch not the unclean thing. For what fellowship hath light with darkness? What concord hath Christ with Belial? You cannot partake of the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. It's all through there. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate. Right? So what you have to recognize is, if I'm going to walk with the Lord, He don't walk with everybody. And that includes electronic friends. And I'm not going to go back down that road again. I'm just simply saying... The Lord knows exactly. You say, how do you know that? You get to reading over there in the book of Zeke, you know what you'll find out? They find out that preacher comes up and there's a little peephole that's in the side of the wall there and the men are in there and they're looking through the peephole and all I'm going to say is there's all kind of illicit images on there and the Lord says they've imagined a vain and a profane thing and the stuff that they're looking at is nothing but images and the Lord's ready to destroy them because they're looking at images in the church, in the temple. So I know what I'm talking about. And still the temptation. And that was painted on a wall, not even moving images. That's just human nature. That reach up and get you if you're not careful. All right, this passage in Ephesians chapter number 5. Now, if you think you can do that and have fellowship with the Lord, help yourself. I don't believe you can, biblically. Verse number 1. Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. That's what we're talking about. Fellowship. It's like a partnership. It's like, uh, I hate to use the word sharing, but it's companionship. Um, but it requires some effort on your part. And I don't want to liken it to a marriage because I don't want a queer thing going on there, but it's to, it's to have communion with somebody. It's, as the old preacher used to say, it's two fellows in the, ship, in the same ship rowing in the same direction. Two fellows in the same ship rowing in the same direction. That's fellowship. All right? And then he says, And walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and given himself for us an offering of a sacrifice for God as a sweet-smelling savor. He seems to be describing love as sacrificial giving of oneself for the benefit of someone else. Ladies, wouldn't you like to have a man like that? Old preacher was preaching when we were down in um, Orlando and he's up there preaching in the women's prison that night. There's about... 75, I guess, 80 women in there. And he's drawing about Jesus Christ and he's saying, this man right here, he'd never do you wrong. He'd always treat you right. Man, he starts bragging on Jesus like that. And he said, ladies, I'm telling you, if you found a man like that, you'd never let him go. And there was a black lady there and she stood up. She said, Lord, I want to meet him now. <laughs> and, and everybody kind of laughed and he said, if you'll hang on a minute, sister, I'm going to introduce you to him. She said, not soon enough. He said, well, just hang on, you know. And he kept on up there, and then he started putting the stripes. And I looked there, and man, that young'un is sitting there, and tears are running down her face, boy. 
And then before long, the Lord dealt with her and he introduced me to him that night. You say what touched her? The wickedness, the ungodliness? No, his love, the sacrificial giving of himself for somebody else. You know, she told that preacher, she said, ain't nobody ever loved me like that. Give you everything and require nothing in return? Man. Boy, she got it. Did you get it? Well, if you did, that's how you got it. His willing sacrifice for you. He died for your benefit and mine. If you got it, that's how you got it. Earn it. A good person. He loved you when you were unlovable. And then he says this, But fornication, all uncleanness, covetousness, let it not be once named among you as it becometh saints, neither filthiness, foolish talking, jesting, or not convenient, rather the giving of thanks. For this know that no whoremonger, unclean person, covetous man, or idolater, inheritance in the kingdom of Christ. Inheritance, not salvation. Let no man deceive you with vain words. For, these, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God, goodness, upon the children of disobedience. Be ye not therefore partakers with them. Now remember we're talking about fellowship. You ready? I'm going to close with this. If we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with the other. Is that right? Okay. Watch Ephesians 5. For ye are sometimes in darkness, but ye are now, but are, are ye now light in the Lord. Walk as children. How about that? You say, what's he doing? He's trying to encourage you to have fellowship with him. But you can't walk in darkness and say you're having fellowship with him because he's in the light. So the requirement is, if I'm going to have fellowship with him, I've got to walk where he's walking. You say, where is that? It's in the light. That seems so simple. You know what he says in 1 Thessalonians 5? He said, let us not be drunk as those that are drunk in the night, but let us walk as the children of light and so on and so forth. It's all through there, I'll show you on Sunday. It's all through there about walking in the light so we can have fellowship with Him. So the antithesis of that would be that if I walk in darkness and I do not the truth because men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. And what that must mean, ladies and gentlemen, is if I don't want to walk in the lights because I don't want to have fellowship with Him. An unsaved person can't have fellowship with Him. They can't walk in the light. That's for you. Isn't it interesting you get that choice? Well, are you walking in the light? Heavenly Father,